This is Asha Voices. I'm JD Gray. You may have heard that people with communication disabilities can experience poor health and healthcare outcomes, defer or delay care, and encounter preventable adverse events. A lack of effective communication access in healthcare interactions can contribute to these disparities. Today's guest, Jin Oshida, says as communication disability experts, SLPs play an important role in addressing these barriers and improving health equity for these patients. Jin is an SLP and a health services researcher and postdoctoral fellow at the University of Colorado. She's a member of the Disability Equity Collaborative, an organization focused on helping patients with disabilities access health care. Central to this work is access to effective communication, and that's what we're focusing on today. In Ash's vision statement, effective communication access is named as a human right. And throughout 2024, Asha Voices will bring you stories, interviews, and reporting on ways we can improve communication access. In fact, there's so much to discuss, we're going to break this first episode into two parts. Next week, look for the second half of today's conversation. Throughout both parts, we'll also hear from patients, care partners, and advocates. They share personal accounts of healthcare interactions. Now, let's join the conversation. I welcomed Jin to the show when I spoke with her in December. Thank you, JD. It's, it's wonderful to be here. I think when I was younger, I thought of accessibility as something that focused on built spaces. You know, I'm thinking of ramps being put in front of an entrance to a building or parking availability, but that's changing. I think it seems increasingly, it seems the focus is on communication access. And, and you, have you seen, is that a trend? Yeah, I think that's something that's slowly growing on the consciousness of healthcare leaders, but it's I would say it's probably still at a very early stage in terms of broader disability access. I do think that as SLPs, I don't know that we always think of ourselves as a part of improving DEI efforts and um, because, you know, typically with DEI, you think of minoritized ethnic and racial groups, sexual orientation, and gender identity. But I think it's important to remember that persons with communication disabilities are also a health disparity population. The large population. And yes, it's a large population. And, and right now, yeah, it's, you know, whereas with physical disabilities, there might be some standards that in place, like like you had mentioned, ramps, elevators to increase access. But with communication access, there is more individualization that's required. So in a study that I had done interviewing um, disability coordinators from 15 different healthcare organizations and when I talked about communication access, you know, I think they they had some solutions definitely for persons who are deaf um, through ASL, as well as um, persons who are hard of hearing, maybe through hearing amplifiers. But when it got to speech and language or cognitive disabilities, that was tougher for them to really name what accommodations they had available. And I think when they did describe instances where they provided accommodations, it was more individualized and they had to kind of tailor the accommodation. I think that's where SLPs can come in is, is that we, I mean, we're really the experts in communication disabilities 
and we, you know, we do our assessments and we can individualize our accommodations because we understand the patient that's sitting in front of us very well. I do think we play a huge role in improving healthcare access, which ultimately improves health equity for this population. Later in the episode, I'm going to ask you about some of those specific accommodations that SLPs might be able to identify and offer their clients and the people they work with. Before we get there, tell us a bit about the general places where something related to communication can affect care. Oh, I mean, it can interrupt care at every step of the healthcare encounter. I mean, it starts with just making an appointment, right? So for example, I used to have patients with laryngectomies who struggled to make appointments because they were still learning to use their electrolarynx and their TEP was not functioning right. And it wasn't until like our secretary had to kind of help facilitate that through emails. Our organization, I think at some point, did get some texting services. And so we used that. So if that person didn't have a companion or care partner to help them with that, then, I mean, that's one huge barrier, right? Just to get in the front door and then think about when you get to check in, right? So let's say someone with a hearing loss, they're sitting down, they don't hear their name being called, right? Someone with a learning disability or that has trouble with filling out forms, can't fill out the forms. And there have been persons with disabilities who are denied care because they can't fill out the lengthy healthcare forms that are required before they're seen. That's even before they even they haven't even gotten to see the doctor yet. And then, you know, then you see your doctor and let's say you have executive functioning difficulties and you know, you didn't plan out or didn't quite understand the purpose of this visit. So you weren't prepared with the symptoms that you are experiencing or have trouble really identifying and pinpointing and or even remembering what your symptoms were to express it to your doctor, right? And through the research, we do know that persons with communication disabilities are more likely to delay or forego care because of all of these barriers And not only that, they're more likely to be seen in the emergency department for conditions that could have been managed in primary care. So it's, yeah, it's a big issue not having sufficient or equitable health care access. We're going to address some of those specific topics with some patient stories in just a moment. Before we move on to a more in-depth discussion of patient experiences, I just wanted to ask you about policy related to these barriers. What are we seeing as far as protections for people's communication? Yes. So thanks for asking about policy. I think that, so in looking at at this as an equity problem or inequitable healthcare access problem, so I, I just want to take a step back first and just think about the social and medical model of disability in healthcare, and especially like through our training, a lot of times we're brought up on the medical model of disability, which is putting the onus to to participate in healthcare and for effective communication. That onus is put all on the patient. 
And so there's this approach to fix the disability, whereas I think it's important for SLPs to really know and own the social model of disability, which is where the onus is also on the environment, the our society, our institutions to provide reasonable accommodations for effective communication. And so that social model of disability is what the Americans with Disabilities Act is founded upon, that we as a society have that responsibility and public-facing organizations like healthcare organizations are mandated to provide those reasonable accommodations to persons with communication disabilities. It is their civil right. And I think that's essential for us as SLPs to know because we can empower our patients because often our patients are still like they've internalized this medical model where it's, it's my fault. Like I can't communicate well. And it's, you know, like if I don't understand my doctor, it's my fault. Right. And so this social model, the Americans with Disabilities Act is saying that, hey, we recognize that as a society, we have this responsibility to provide reasonable accommodations. And so that might look like if I was a physician, if you told me that I need you to write down keywords, I have the legal responsibility to do that. That's a reasonable accommodation to write down keywords about your diagnosis with you as a patient as I'm talking. And I think a lot of patients don't realize that. And so that's why as SLPs, you know, being able to spread that knowledge to our patients and empower them with that knowledge that it is their civil right to receive those accommodations and they should not feel guilty or, you know, ashamed of asking for those accommodations. Thank you for that context. Thinking of accommodations, I'm going to talk about some people navigating the healthcare system. So the first person is someone that you recommended I speak with. I spoke with Matthew LaFleur. He identified himself as neurodivergent, and he's an advocate for the needs and access of people with different abilities and skills. And Matthew thinks about healthcare as an opportunity for collaboration. When I asked Matthew about barriers to communication, he names many that he's observed the language being used in appointments, thinking of jargon, misdiagnoses, the availability and flexibility of the healthcare workforce, thinking about rural areas in particular. And he talks about navigating the healthcare system. For me, the complexity of the healthcare system is the registration forms that you fill out once you walk in. It's the asking how many medicines you have and if you can name all of them in a specific order. It's just to a point that it gets too wordy-wordy, too complex. It's like you're talking to a professor in a seminar or a scientist in their lab and hoping that you get what they say to you. And not every mind can think that way. We all have to digest the information in our own very way, but also digest it in a way that makes sense for us to understand what you're trying to talk about. Matthew says that Complexity exists both digitally and in person. He gives us a lot to think about here, but what opportunities do SLPs have to assist in helping their clients and patients navigate a complex healthcare system? I think Matthew's example is a great one of how an SLP could help. So right now, they're in the healthcare world there is a big push for improving healthcare transitions 
for young adults with disabilities. And so, so I think both school SLPs and medical SLPs have a role in making the healthcare system more navigatable <laughs> for persons with communication disabilities. So if we're starting with school-based SLP, like let's say, I don't know if Matthew had seen any SLPs growing up, but from um, in the school settings, you know, we can start as SLPs by teaching our clients the language around symptoms, physical symptoms that we're experiencing, locating where, if we're feeling sick, like where are we feeling sick, starting to just get that awareness of our body and our language around our physical body and health. And then, you know, I think using the tools that we always, that we already use as SLPs that we're experts at. So like building AC tools, you know, using pictures, um, using stories and scripts about going to the doctors and routines about going to the doctor. So maybe, you know, before you go to the doctor, talk about what you, what questions you have with your parents. You know, this is, again, thinking about school age kid. And then when you go to your doctor, the, so the healthcare transition, there are several groups, but there's this one group called Got Transition. And, you know, they recommend that at about ages 12 to 13, that persons with disabilities start going into their appointments on their own and asking their their providers their questions for them and getting them ready to transition to becoming independent healthcare users. And that often gets missed, that training. And right now, I don't think it's recognized that like SLPs could be play such a huge role in helping to prepare our clients with communication disabilities to become independent healthcare navigators and users. And so now coming to the present day, you know, where Matthew is, like if he were to see an SLP, I could imagine creating, so they call, they have what's called healthcare passports. And so what you do is you have your list of medical conditions in plain language, right? They can take various shapes and forms. But one example is that you can have your list of medical conditions, you can have your list of medications, and you could even have pictures besides each medication, right, to help just with the cognitive processing of, okay, this is, this is what I'm taking, and maybe just some plain language shorthand. It's a healthcare passport, but really, in SLP language, it's in augmentative and alternative communication support for the patient to express what's happening with them, what questions they have about their health conditions, about their medications, about healthcare decisions that are coming up. But it's also a support of comprehension because that patient can bring that book and say, hey, can, when you explain and you talk about one of my conditions, can you point in my book to what condition you're talking about. When you're talking about a medication, can you use my book and point to the medication that you're talking about? This helps me to process the information. And qualitative research has documented that persons with communication disabilities report that they're not explained 
on their treatment options in ways that they can understand. So we as SOPs, you know, we're working with these individuals one-on-one in therapy. We understand where their strengths are, where they need supports, and we can build those supports and then teach them how to use those supports in a healthcare visit. Another tried and true SLP tool is scripts, right? Like you, patients with aphasia, um, you have scripts for social interactions. Why not have scripts for healthcare interactions as well? And it could be scripts about the accommodations that I need. Can you slow down? I need one more minute to process that, right? Like a script like that could go a long way to helping to give the patient's healthcare provider, doctor, that input, like, oh, shoots, I do need to slow down, right? Because the providers got 15 minutes. Sometimes they're not always aware of, yes, the need to use plain language to slow down. You know, while it is, there is the burden to do that when being asked, I think it does help if our patients or clients know enough that they can ask Let's take a quick break to recap what we just discussed. Jin shared two tools SLPs can use to help people navigate the complex healthcare system. She described using a healthcare passport that may look like an AAC support that includes the person's medications and medical history. She also talked about scripting important and common healthcare interactions. These tools highlight the importance of supporting self-advocacy skills in healthcare settings. And that's a theme we'll hear throughout the second half of this conversation as well. We're going to rejoin the conversation with SLP Jen Oshita in just a moment. First, though, I'm going to introduce another voice. Karen Hilliard is a health communications strategist. She hosts a podcast on effective communication. It's called HealthCom Central. She has experience training providers in effective communication as well. Important for this conversation, Karen also plays a role in the healthcare appointments of family members. Just in my own family network, there are folks with autism. There are folks with dementia. There are folks with chronic illnesses that are also medically complex conditions. So, you know, difficult sometimes to explain to providers. And then I have a couple of older relatives as well. I often find myself in the position of either helping them to prepare for an appointment with a provider or quite often accompanying them to that appointment. Karen knows the complexities and barriers surrounding healthcare. She says providers are often not trained in effective communication. They're extremely busy and rushed, like we just mentioned. And she says that patients, when they're sick, may have difficulty with processing information and communicating. I'm going to highlight three other things that Karen covered. One thing she noticed, she said providers will sometimes talk to the care partner, not the patient. What often I have experienced is that the provider will often start talking to the person who's accompanying the patient rather than to the patient. And that's something that I've seen happen a lot. And, you know, I'm always there as the companion, not the patient. I want the patient to have as much autonomy as they can. 
And so it's really important that the provider carry on the conversation with the patient, if at all possible. Karen says she'll redirect the conversation to the person she's at the appointment with, and she uses their name. She says she sometimes will stop making eye contact with the physician, if it's a physician they're meeting with, and look at the patient. And if she does answer for a patient, she checks in with them about the information she's providing. I asked Jen what else she might offer in a situation like that. So it's funny that you asked that because we've Myself and one of my PhD mentors, Dr. Charles McLean, had uh, built off of the work of Jennifer Wolf, but essentially it's a sheet that patients fill on in the waiting room and they sit down with their companion. And that sheet clarifies what is the role that you want your companion to play at this healthcare visit. Some of the options might be, you know, help me to ask questions help ask questions for me or just help to remind me of questions that I have, or it might just be sit back and take notes for me, right? And so I think first it's having that conversation between whoever the patient is and the care partner and having, you know, agreeing upon that because um, sometimes we, we might assume what role we want the patient to play or if we're the patient, maybe we ha- we assume what role we want our care partner to play, but having that conversation first is helpful. And I also think that as SOPs, we can encourage that conversation to happen because if you think about it, a lot of our patients in the medical setting have acquired communication disabilities. So it's a new experience for the patient and the care partner. And so they're still navigating their roles, right? And then once those rules are established, then I think at the very start of the visit, if the physician is not asked, asking the patient and their care partner, like, what roles would you like to play, which most probably don't, I think it's it's okay to say outright, like, hey, um, I'm here to sit back and take notes for my mom or for my brother, or you know what, I'm here to just help add in information, but please speak directly to brother or my mom. I think that's the best way right now um, because we haven't yet created those systems in place where it becomes routine that physicians, you know, say, oh, what role, like, are the ones to ask, what role do you want to play in your family member's care or in this appointment? And so until that happens, I think we've just got to be direct with our providers. On this podcast and other places in the Ashley Leader, we've talked about family coaching or family collaboration. What I think I'm hearing you say is preparing for a visit with a healthcare provider. That's an opportunity to collaborate with a a care partner, a family member to prepare for that experience. Yes, exactly. Because right now, probably care partners are like the top quote unquote accommodation that persons with communication disabilities are relying upon. And I say quote unquote accommodation because it's not it's not an accommodation provided by the healthcare organization. You know, it's kind of like patient provided support. Healthcare organization, you know, shouldn't assume that all patients have access to those supports. And, and sometimes as a patient, you want your privacy and maybe you don't want your family member involved. And so 
again, like thinking about where the SOPs can come in, you know, like, let's say you're working with a patient that says, yeah, I have this upcoming visit. I don't know, maybe it's something serious, like a cancer diagnosis that they don't want their daughter to be there for and be open to providing supports for the patient so that they're not reliant on their daughter to be there. And that might mean like, you could ask your healthcare organization for a note taker, let's say, as another way to support the patient in that visit until maybe they're ready to let their family member know. Um, Unfortunately, there are no patient navigators or (laughs) like someone to substitute for, for being a family member at this time. I'm glad that you raised these points. This is another thing that Karen mentioned. I asked Karen if she ever personally experienced or witnessed times where, because of a communication barrier, a patient didn't have the most clarity around either a diagnosis or a treatment plan. Here's what she said. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's the huge problem of not having a good communication experience is you come away not sure what do I have? What do I need to do? And those are the most critical outcomes often of a provider visit. Karen says she often records visits with providers so that her family members can refer to the recordings later. Karen says she uploads the recordings to a service that transcribes the audio using artificial intelligence. And she notes that if the information is sensitive, you need to be aware that uploading the audio uh, means the information might no longer be private, but that does create a place for the family member to refer to later. I love that. Yeah. I love the... The transcription, yeah, the recording. Another thought is if a family member can't be there in person just to be a support, you can also ask your doctor to call them in on the phone as another way to get just a second set of ears. I'm going to mention one more thing from Karen. This is a quote. One of the issues for all providers is that time is often short for them. They don't have a lot of time with a patient and they're very eager to get to the point of whatever is being talked about. And so often when patients are telling their story, there's a lot to tell and they may be sharing too many details. And so being succinct is great, but that's really hard to do when you're talking about your illness or your symptoms or whatever. And so Karen suggests putting together bullet points before the visit with a care partner uh, so that you have a summary. And she says that might be difficult to do on the fly, but if you have it in writing, you can hand it to the provider. This is kind of like the passport you mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's exactly the approach I would recommend. Kind of back to um, what I mentioned about how Uh, healthcare organizations are becoming more savvy to healthcare transition. There's a great website with a lot of resources that SLPs could use on this healthcare transition. And they have worksheets to guide and structure patients' thinking before a visit. So there's this one that's called Today's Healthcare Visit by Charting the Life Course Nexus. And, And it asks those prompts, why am I at the doctor's or clinic today? And it asks other prompts, who's with me today? What are my list of medications? And 
So it just kind of prompts the patient to think about it or bring in a written list. And and yes, and I think that can help that reflection time, I think can help patients to identify their key symptoms or key concerns that they want to bring up. And in that succinct way, as Karen had mentioned, because providers do have a limited time and visits are usually between 15 to 20 minutes. And and that can be really tough when you have a communication disability. And so one accommodation that is a reasonable accommodation is asking for extra appointment time, especially if it's appointment that's maybe of greater importance, like, you know, there's going to be a change of medication or there's a decision about a surgery, maybe, you know, some bigger decision when you call to schedule appointment, go ahead and ask for that extra time. The conversation continues. Look for the second half of my conversation with SLP Jin Oshita in the podcast feed. Subscribe to the podcast to be among the first to hear it. We'll hear from more patients and care partners, and we'll discuss more ways SLPs can assist the people they work with in creating avenues for self-advocacy and communication access. Before we go, I want to recap a few of the items mentioned by Karen and Jen. They mentioned the benefits of clarifying the roles between patients and care partners before an appointment, and also clarifying those roles with the provider. Recording appointments with healthcare providers or requesting a note taker so patients can review the information provided during an appointment and requesting more time for a healthcare appointment to avoid feeling rushed. Find links to the resources on the blog post for this episode at on.asher.org slash podcast, including Asher resources and links to Karen Hilliard's podcast, HealthCom Central. You'll find a link to the Disability Equity Collaborative, where Jen is a team member. And we'll put a link to the previous Asher Voices episode featuring SLP and Disability Equity Collaborative founder and director, Megan Morris, whose work and research are influential in this area. You'll also find links to resources related to healthcare transitions, which Jen just mentioned, whether the transition is prompted by entering a new stage of life or finding a new provider. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. I'm JD Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.